Titus chapter number two, if you join me there, Titus chapter number two, as we have been in this series and we'll continue it tonight, Titus chapter two is simply entitled the Christian character makeup of Christ's church. We've looked at this passage starting in verse number one and following as Paul instructed Titus about how the different uh, members of the church, whether it be older men, older ladies, young ladies, or young men, are to act and how they are to conduct themselves within his church. And it's been very informative, very challenging. Let me say this, obviously tonight's focus, as we'll see in verse number four specifically, is about young ladies, men, young, or, excuse me, young ladies, but young women, uh, mothers and, and such, the younger ladies. These challenges are good for all of us. It's important for us to understand that these characteristics uh, are things that we all can emulate. And, uh, and we're all touched by someone who meets this age qualification or this description. Uh, whether you have a young daughter and she's being trained for her life, all the areas that God has called her to be in, a believer, a mother, a wife, and uh, a church member, everyone's touched in one way or the other. At the very least, as we consider these characteristics, if you had a mother that was this way, and, and when you were young and she acted, you ought to give God the glory for that. You ought to be thankful that your mom met these qualifications. And so I just encourage you, sometimes as we do these kind of studies where they are rather specific in their application for a group or a member or a specific person, the fact is we can all learn much from it. And we can all be challenged. And it may be this. Let's say you're older and you're a, you're a grandfather and you have a daughter. Can I tell you, this would make a great prayer list for you to pray for your daughter. Of her with her children, her husband, and to, to love her husband, to love her children, to be discreet, to be a keeper of the home, and so forth and so on. All of these are great parts, could be great parts of your prayer. Uh, your daughter-in-laws, whatever it may be. I'm just trying to express to you, don't tune us out. Don't tune God's Word out. He has something for you tonight. He wants you to learn something, be encouraged and challenged in it and through it. Look with me, verse number 4. And this is the content of what the older ladies are supposed to teach the younger ladies. Notice it, that they may teach the young women to be sober, uh, to love their husbands, to love their children. Immediately, we've already seen what that terminology of sober means. Okay, It literally means the idea of disciplined and moderate, of a sound mind, having a good sense. If time permits, we're going to get uh, later to the word uh, or the description to be discreet in verse 5. Uh, they're similar, but they're different. And we'll, we'll talk about that tonight. But as we saw in the definition of sober, of good sense, it's the possession of wisdom and prudence. Such that helps a young woman to avoid the snares which are laid by the devil, the flesh, and the ungodly. And that which helps her to conduct herself in a way that well reflects her Redeemer. You know it as well as I do. Satan is after a husband as he leaves the home. But he's also after the mother and the wife because she has great influence on the children. So if, if the devil can get your heart off and your life going the wrong direction, he can affect a lot. And uh, that's why it's crucial uh, that the older ladies taught the young ladies to be sober, uh, to be in possession of this wisdom and prudence. Then we saw last time, great description, right? To love their husbands. It's the Greek word that's only used in this instance, in this place, in the, the New Testament. Philandros, obviously uh, coming from phileo uh, and so forth, meaning tenderly affectionate. The command here is to keep the love there. We talked about how, how we here uh, in Western society, we are charged, and Paul's encouraged 
encouraging us to fan the flames of love, to keep it there. Don't let it dwindle with time. Choose to see it grow and be further established in our marriages and our homes. Your love for your spouse ought to only grow the older you get. The closer you get together and the closer you come together and grow together and grow closer to the Lord. That, that's God's plan. And uh, you ought to be more in love today than the day that you thought you were the, in love and couldn't be anymore and you got married. The fact is you ought to be more in love today because you've gotten to know them and you've learned to love them in different ways you never would have dreamed. That's God's plan. And so we saw that. I, we've described it as this. It's a determined love not rooted in a husband's worthiness. Because honestly, if it's rooted in a husband's worthiness, men were in trouble. We're in trouble, all right? None of us are worthy of this kind of love. Uh, it's not in worthiness, but rather it's a wife responding to God's command to love your husbands. Yeah, it's expressed in that affectionate heart. I mean, what a truth that is. I think that's uh, so crucial. And we'll even see this idea of love developed, as Paul puts it here, towards the children. But such, And this is crucial. We'll actually talk a little bit about this next Sunday morning. But such love is the basis for a friendship that outshines any other earthly friendship in its strength and depth. So this love is that foundation that breeds a friendship within your marriage like you have with no one else. It's a choice of love, a choice that feelings soon follow. Now, that's key, isn't it? Our world would say, have feelings, and then everything will just fall. You need to have the feelings of love. No, love is a choice first, but feelings definitely follow. And I, I like this statement we shared with you last time, where there is genuine practical love, a sacrificial love, uh, genuine emotional love is sure to follow. You make that decision to love and to love sacrificially, to, to love practically and to love uh, unconditionally. I'll tell you, emotions will follow. Emotions will follow. One of the greatest advice we can give in marriage counseling is, if you're having problems and you come into my office or you speak to me and you say, Hey, hey, I just don't know if I love her anymore. I, I just don't feel like I love him anymore. Well, the decision needs to be made that you do love her and then you act upon that decision in sacrificial, unconditional love. And I'll tell you, my friend, the emotions will come back. The feelings will come back. See, the world gets it all wrong, don't they? They get the cart before the horse. They throw the feelings ahead of the choice. And that's why they get off the path and they, they wreck their cart and they wreck everything. Because they get it out of whack. It gets God's plan messed up. Now we move on to a most curious instruction in this passage. I, I, you read this, you're like, what? This is what he says. He says, to love their children. Now, that's interesting. It would seem odd that Paul writes to Titus that he was to instruct young ladies, young mothers, to love their children. I mean, of all the loves in the world, isn't this like the most natural one? Uh, do we really need to teach this? I mean, any of us that have had children, boy, you know, you know that a child has a bond that is formed between a mother and her child, even as she carries that baby for nine months. I, as a guy, I can't touch that. But I'll tell you, I've seen it in Erica, in that connection, she's made with the baby, just carrying the baby. And what, what not, uh, which one of us, as a parent, in that first moment that we see that baby, and maybe we even hold that baby, my goodness, doesn't that love just overwhelm you? Each and every time, it doesn't matter how many you have, just ask Jeremy and Vianne, you love each of them. Every time, right? Every stinking time. For us, every single time, you know, you love them. And boy, it's such a gift, isn't it? That child. 
We think, well, that's just natural. Why in the world does, does Paul have to tell Titus to teach the women to love their children? Why does he have to instruct that? Why in the world does he have to even bring that up and instruct them to do so? Well, there is a simple understanding that comes from a simple study of mankind that sheds light on that question. It only takes a preponderance of history to come to this truth and understand why God instructed Paul to tell Titus to teach the young ladies to love their children. Here it is. It's simply this. The corruption that sin brings knows no bounds. The corruption that sin has brought knows no limits. It knows no bounds. Nothing is off limit. You see, what even might, in our minds, be a principle of nature, a love of a mother for a child, it can be affected and corrupted by the power of sin. We see this play out throughout the uh, the pages of history. You think back with me, and and, and there were times that that, that children were passed off. They were sent to, to be raised by a school in place of parents uh, simply because the parents didn't want to bother with it. We'll just send them off to a boarding school. We'll send them off somewhere else. I don't want to, I don't want to have to bother with it. I, I can't do this. I, I, I'm all about my, my career and, and our society, whatever. That's, how about this? We see this often, and I saw it a lot out in uh, Virginia area, outside Washington, D.C. You know, there's some parents who hire a nanny basically to be the mom instead of the mom. As she follows her career, or she's just indifferent to the children, uh, they hire a nanny, and literally that nanny, those children, I have seen it, I have witnessed it, a child who doesn't want to leave the nanny to go to their parents, their mom. Because the mom has just kind of passed them off. We see it even worse still in places like India, children have been murdered by their own mothers. You know why? For not being the right gender. In India, for the longest time, if, if a family, if a couple had a little girl, they would kill her. She wasn't worth keeping in their minds. It would happen time. Why does, why does Paul have to write this to Titus? Because it's needed. It's needed. They needed to be taught to love their children. In the Old Testament, it speaks often of, of nations that cause their children to pass through the fire. I reference the child sacrifices. And now today, what do we see rampant around among mankind? Abortion. The murder of a baby. We see mothers killing their children because they can't handle the struggles, the difficulties, and the challenges. There's no love in their life for the body, or excuse me, for the person that's in their body. The life that is in their body. We see mothers who are children themselves handing over their children to grandparents or other family members or even to complete strangers for them to raise their children as their own. So we must deduce a simple, the simple instruction is needed. And for you and I, if we profess to love our children, it is a good reminder to commit ourselves to continually make that choice. Love your children. Love them. Love them in the good times, in the challenging times, the difficult times. Love them. Love them every step of the way. Don't let that love wane when they become unlovable. When they spurn your admonition and counsel. When they fight or resist you. In fact, this love, as God has demonstrated, is supposed to be unconditional. It's supposed to be sacrificial. 
It's sad to say that there are today mothers who need to be taught to love their children unconditionally and sacrificially. But my friend, it needs to be taught. Young ladies here, you have teenagers and such, if God allows you to grow up and uh, become a wife and then have children, can I tell you, God wants you to love those children unconditionally and sacrificially. Unconditionally, sacrificially. Pray for it. Ask God to grow that in your heart. Now, hey, what, what if I said something like this? Okay, let's take the, the Robertsons down here. I'm going to use them for illustration. They may not like it afterwards, but I'm going to use it, okay? Let's say that God in heaven looks down and he looks at Miss Heidi. And boy, he is just so excited, thankful. And, and boy, he, he certainly loves Miss Heidi. No one would disagree with that, that God in heaven loves Miss Heidi. And boy, he, he, he just loves her, her service for him, her committedness, her dedication to him. And boy, he just loves her. Then there's Pastor Aaron. God kind of loves Pastor Aaron too, okay? Uh, I mean, he does. He likes Pastor Aaron. He serves him well, but, but he just doesn't love uh, Pastor Aaron as much as Heidi, okay? Let's just say that was obvious and common knowledge that God loved Miss Heidi more than Pastor Aaron, okay? And, and you know, we, we look at that and we say what? It's ludicrous. Because God does not love one of us more than he loves another. And aren't you thankful for that? He doesn't. He doesn't love you more than he loves me. He doesn't love me more than he loves you. He doesn't love Billy Sunday. He doesn't love D.L. Moody. He doesn't love a missionary. He doesn't love anybody more than he loves you. And that's something to be thankful for. How would we describe that? Well, not only does God love unconditionally and sacrificially, but our God loves impartially and equally. And so, moms, can I challenge you tonight... Follow in your Lord's footsteps and love your children equally and impartially. Equally and impartially. This too is very often present in mothers who know little of the impartial love of God. Now listen to me, listen to me carefully. Because this kind of thing can slip in. As a mother, you can do it without realizing it sometimes. I think one of the greatest things that parents can do is talk to each other. And a mother ask a father, a father ask a mother, am I treating one of my children better than the other? Am I treating someone impartially or, or partially? Am I, am I treating it? You ought to ask one another and do constant evaluation of it. Because why? In our flesh, we can easily allow this to happen. In fact, what often happens, and I'm sure you've seen it, um, we've seen a parent, a mother even, who... <laughs> Uh, kind of favors the child that shares her passions that has in common the personality uh, that they have. And that personality is shared and those interests are shared, uh, they get the lion's share of the mother's love and attention. The temptation is there to have a favorite. It's found in scriptures, isn't it? It's all over. Look at Isaac and Rebecca. <laughs> they both had their favorite. So it's there and the temptation is present. Work hard at loving your children impartially and equally. Let them all bask in the radiant glow of your unconditional love, your impartial love. So work at it. Make sure, constantly evaluate, am I treating one better than another? Am I truly impartial and am I treating them with equality? That's the kind of love that mothers are called to even in this passage. Love your children. Equally and impartially. You know, there's another one that we would describe as, obviously, somewhat of a no-brainer, but love and word and indeed. We talked a little bit about the word uh, this morning. But the fact is, it's easy, but don't neglect it. Say it often. Say it frequently. Say it to every one of your children. 
Say it throughout the day. Say it at bedtime. Say it in the morning. I love you. So thankful for you. You are truly a gift from God. And be careful with impartiality or careful with partiality in this way. You know, there's some kids that are naturally affectionate. There's some kids that aren't. Okay, I, 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 I was the affectionate one in our family. My brother was not. He hated hugs. So for 18 years, I showered him with hugs. I pestered him. I did. It was great. I just sneak up behind him. Oh, I love you, brother. Get off me. <laughs> I mean, and, and he wouldn't give mom kiss. I mean, he, th- that was my brother. It's just who he was. And he loves me. I love him. And, and uh, he'll give me a hug now today. He's matured. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, kidding. Oh, boy. I hope he doesn't listen to this. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I mean, we're different. I get that personality. Listen, hey, be careful. Just don't shower the one who says, I love you with love. Say it to all of them. Hey, we have it in our home. We have all kinds of different personalities with six different children. I'm telling you, we have it all. We have the ones that are not expressive in their love. They don't say it as much. And we have the ones that will say it more than you want to hear it. (laughs) Mother's Day was last week. You know, every day this week, Caden has come up to Eric and said, Happy Mother's Day! (laughs) Just like that. Morning, night, it does not matter. He'll come in the room. Happy Mother's Day. We just chuckle, Eric and I, and we love it. Uh, his expression, and then the next words, I just love you so much. Those are his next words. Listen, I love that. But I'll tell you, there's some of my kids who, uh, they wouldn't act like that. But boy, I'll tell them I love them just as much. You ought to. You ought to use your words equally across every child or in every child's life. Don't be careful. Don't play favorites. And also make sure that you tell them you love them. They're in a more serious note. You know, there's some in our church family who have told me before that their parents never told them I love you. Could you imagine that? For some, I'm thankful that that has changed. and Maybe as they got older and things. But when they were growing up, there have been some who have never heard I love you. And I'll tell you right now, I don't know. I don't know outside the grace of God Almighty how how you could endure something like that. So tell your child you love them. Don't waste the time you have. Don't let it fall by. Well, they know I love them. That is a sorry excuse. They know it. No, no, no. Sorry excuse. Tell them. Let them know. Tell them often. Express how much you care for them. There have been times too, and I'll... In all honesty, I have counseled teenagers who knew that they weren't their parents' favorite. In tears, they've told me across a desk. My parents love so-and-so much more. They do everything for them. They they provide everything. Now, Now, I understand children can distort things, but there's been these instances where I've counseled a teenager that I knew very well, and they were right. I could see it. It was obvious. And it was a great detriment in their life. Oh, they turned to their Heavenly Father and they looked to Him with whom is no uh, partiality, with whom is no favoritism. But that's difficult. That's a big hurdle to overcome. So don't waste that time. Seize the opportunity that's here today. Add those words of love. Add those actions of love. 
But let me also encourage you, mom, make sure you specifically uh, show and display spiritual actions engaged to win the heart. We've heard a lot about it. Brother, Brother Chris mentioned it during revival. I've mentioned so many times about winning their heart. Notice this. This is a great statement. You ought to think about the meaning of the statement. The fact is this. The greatest act of God was to die on the cross for sinners. And the greatest act of parents is to bring a child to the Savior. You can't die for your children. You can't win heaven for them. But the next best thing is to introduce them to the one who did. And that's our responsibility. That's part of that TNT we talked about this morning. The training and the teaching that ought to take place by parents for their children. So our goal and our desires is to see that they come to put their faith and trust in Christ. It's a love that will never stop until that child possesses a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Then what do we do, parents? Do we throw, okay, it's done. Uh, they're saved. Okay, we, we can rest. No. You know what the Bible says? Listen, kids won't like this tonight, but this is what it says. Chasten, chasten, chasten. That's love in action. That is not politically correct today. To discipline, to chasten your child. Ah, the world doesn't like that. They want to call it something else, which it is not, and that's called abuse. It's dead wrong. All that's going to produce is a culture of a bunch of brats. Can I be frank? Listen to me. There's a simple verse in the scripture. Proverbs 13, 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son. Does what? Hates his son. Does what? Hates his son. I didn't write it. I just preach it. He hates his son. You spare it. You hate him. Well, Pastor Henry. No, you hate him. Notice it. He that loveth him, chasteneth him betimes. That betimes, that means a boatload of times. That's a bunch. All the time. Constantly, consistently. See, God's plan for mom, for dad, and I understand moms often bear a large brunt of this. If you're a stay-at-home mom or you have the primary responsibility of of child care, I get it. You bear the brunt of this. This is a, a burden on you. But God's plan is discipline, spanking, correction, and consequences. You know what he says that is? It's love. And the world says, oh, that's not love. That's hate. No, that's love. Because the world doesn't get to define what love is. The God who is love gets to define love. It's his job. It's his responsibility. It's his privilege. And he says, chastening is love. You ever hear a modern parent say something to this effect? I just love my sweet little Susie too much to spank her. I, I, I don't want to break her spirit. Listen to me. Hogwash hogwash what that is is selfish love and what you have just revealed is that you really don't love your child you don't really love your little Susie. you don't have a heart to see her turn out you see god has already said and and this is so very true so parents listen hey if you felt the pressure of the world and the culture say oh be careful now i understand you've got to be wise as serpents in this you got to be smart in how you do this because the world's coming after you in many ways. But do not be influenced by the world to think that God's plan is, is no good anymore. God's plan still works. Okay, It worked for my grandparents, their grandparents. It's worked all the time. It's worked since this was written in Proverbs. It's worked. Why? 
What's the big deal? You know what God said chastening does? Chastening is what produces a successful and prosperous child. Man, that flies in the face of modern philosophies. I can't tell you how many articles I've written, how they've tried to twist things and say things. Well, that has just stunted people's growth. It's, it's, again, it's hogwash. It's ridiculous. Chastening literally produces. You say, well, where do we see that? There's great biblical evidence. There's great biblical proof of this truth. Turn with me to Hebrews, will you? Hebrews chapter number 12, quickly. Hebrews chapter number 12. Let's see this passage. Let's see how God says that chastening actually produces successful and prosperous children. Hebrews chapter number 12. We look down at verse number 6. Look with me there quickly. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 6. We'll read down through verse 11. For whom the Lord, what's the next word? Loveth. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, and literally what he's saying is this, not that you persevere. That's not the meaning of the word endure. The meaning of the word endure is that you go through it. If you experience chastening, verse number 7, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof are all Excuse, or excuse me, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and, lo- and live? Let me pause just a moment. We'll pick up there in a second. Hey, young people, did you catch that? The Bible says that as you and I have parents who don't spare the rod, they discipline us and they chasten us, you ought to respect and revere them. You ought to be thankful for them. Many of us growing up, we had a wide variety of applications uh, to our seat of learning, didn't we? Whether it be a branch or whether it be a board or whether it be a belt, we understood. But I'll tell you, I sure do love my father and mother for it. I revere them and I honor them. I reverence them. Because they followed God's plan. And it is by God's grace in their effort that I am any, any productivity to God in His kingdom. Any prophet. Listen, thank your parents. Be grateful for them. Verse 10. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but He for our profit, that we might be partakers of His holiness, but He for our profit. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. I've always laughed at that last term. They're exercised thereby. I've never thought about that. That the Bible calls it a time of exercise. Amen. Not the kind of exercise we like. But literally says you're exercised thereby. What? It produces righteousness. Now what is that all predicated upon? Now look at it. At the beginning of this passage, it makes it very clear. This truth, notice it, okay? Chastening is an extension of that intimate father-son relationship. That's the first two verses of this passage are establishing. It's what we spoke about last Wednesday night. An intimate, close, loving relationship. Now listen, parents, I want you to hear me and hear me clearly. If that is the case, as this passage puts forth, 
That chastening is an extension of this love relationship, a father-son, close, intimate. It's called the adoption of sons in Romans chapter 8 that we just studied on Wednesday night. If that relationship, by which we call him Abba Father, if that is built upon a close, loving relationship, and it's an extension of our love, here's the key. And here's where we go wrong in chastening and disciplining. My friend, if those times of discipline, if they are anger-driven, if they are frustration-induced, if they are reactionary-based upon what kind of mood you are in, we're in trouble. They are not intended to be a reaction of love, a reaction of what kind of mood you're in. They are not supposed to be something that's based upon how frustrated you are. No, they're supposed to be love-infused. When you have those times we, we used to call going out to the old shed, when we used to call the time wherever it is, wherever you do the business, it ought to be times and moved by love. That's what Hebrews says. That's why good advice is if you're angry about something and you're going into discipline, you ought to take a few moments to make sure your heart's right. Settle down. Release the anger, let God help you, and then you move into it. Because what happens, now listen, here's the key. What happens if you chastise, you discipline in anger, it becomes a disconnected relationship. And you are simply administering pain to change behavior, kind of like a bully. You are. If you're just doing it in anger and you're mad, they embarrassed you, they, they, they frustrated you, and believe me, I'm a parent, I get it. <laughs> I get it. But don't for a moment think that that's how God ever intended for you to discipline your children. It is to be loved, infused, moved by a relationship that you have with them, a loving one that you want to do the best. Because here's the truth. If you do it in love, if you do it in love with a clear purpose of correcting and chastening or training through chastening, it becomes one of the best relationship building tools you have as a parent. There are times I still remember those meetings I had with my father. But I'll tell you, they indelibly left their mark on our relationship. They built it. There are times with my own children that I, that they were difficult times and it may have been part of a breaking the will in many ways, but I remember them because they helped build a relationship that's present. Do it in love. Allow it to build that relationship. These moments of discipline and chasing are love in action. Why? Because you have enough love to care about their character and heart. And you want them both right in the sight of God. You want their heart and their character to be right in the sight of God. So you love them. And one of the ways you love them is to chasten them, to discipline them. I have much more to say, but time is fleeting. So listen carefully and I'll finish with this. There's a book I've recently been reading for my own challenge, exhortation about parenting and encouraging along the way to be a better parent. I like how the author describes what chastening is. Listen to this, and I'd encourage you to think on it. I think it's very true. He defines it as this. Chastening is putting the brakes within the life of the child so they can do right by themselves. 
Chastening is putting the brakes inside of the, the child's heart so they can do right by themselves. Isn't that true? I think that's so, that's our goal and our desire that in love as we chasten them, that the next time they start to do it and what happens? They stop themselves. They stop themselves. The brakes are applied because, wait a minute, I've learned this is not right to do. And yes, it may start out with fear of chastening, but it then, as that grows and that young person matures, then it comes to, I want to do what's right, and that's not right. I'm going to avoid it. And that's the goal of chastening, friend. That's love in action coming and flowing from a parent. So can I challenge you as parents tonight and each one of us, love them enough to give them the right kind of training that will make them successful and prosperous in life. Remember the verse, spare the rod, hate the child. You love your child, you will chasten them many, many times. I don't know where our world's going, but it may become very soon that spanking is a criminal act. We're on the edge of it. Hey, Frank, can I tell you, as long as this earth stands, God's word is right and man is wrong. So live by God's word. You know what happens when you do that? Blessings. I'll be glad to go to jail as long as my children turn out right. And they are prosperous and successful for God. Hey, parent. Would you recommit tonight? Would you rededicate yourself? You say, hey, listen, I'll tell you something I have to do often as a parent. Reevaluate. I've loosened up in this. I haven't been paying attention to this as much as I need to. I haven't given my attention. Hey, there are times for us to recommit, to reevaluate and say, I need to do a better job. I need to get back to this the biblical way. Would you allow God to work in your heart tonight? Would you respond with action?